Hi everyone, this is East Screen, West Screen. Welcome back. This is show number two for Thursday, August 20th, 2009. I'm your host, Paul Fox, and joining me here in the virtual studio from Hong Kong is my co-host, Kevin Ma. What up, everyone? Also, we're very fortunate today to have joining us in our third chair, a former classmate and friend of mine, a person who works in the arts criticism field, writing for several papers here in Hong Kong. He's also a director of his own drama troupe, and he works as a videographer for the British Council, William Chen. William, thanks for joining us. Yeah, welcome. Hi, everyone. Let's start off and talk a little bit about some news that I came across earlier in the week. This first article relates directly to Hong Kong. Uh, This was an article I came across in the South China Morning Post, and it's calling for Hong Kong to sort of take on the role as a Chinese movie hub. Um, It basically points out that on the week of August 3rd through 9th, in in mainland China, so not in Hong Kong direct, but in mainland China, three of the top five films in terms of money-making returns were from Hong Kong directors, the top film being... Wong Jing's On His Majesty's Secret Service, uh, the number four film being Overheard, which we talked about last week from Felix Chong and Alan Mack, and the fifth place film we'll talk a little about a little bit later today is uh, McDull Kung Fu Ding Dong. Uh, the, the second and third spots were from Hollywood films G.I. Joe and Up. So the, the article itself says that Hong Kong should position itself as a center for Chinese language films and capitalize on the recent soaring popularity of local productions on the mainland. But what do you think this, this, that this means for Hong Kong productions? Um, do you think this is a good thing, or are directors going to be bound up by the censorship requirements of the mainland censorship boards to get films released in the mainland? Um, Kevin, what, what, why don't we start with you? What are your thoughts? Well, the thing is, Hong Kong is no longer the Chinese film hub for a long time. You look at Andrew Lau, uh, Stanley Kwan, um, Gordon Chan, Peter Chan, all these major Hong Kong film directors have already moved on to the mainland. Films are now shot in the mainland because, you know, cheaper costs. I mean, look at um, the new Teddy Chan movie, uh, Bodyguards and Assassin. They rebuilt Hong Kong in China. So what's the point of, what's the point of you know, making, there's no point in century making Hong Kong film hub if everyone just sort of moved northward. Mm, okay, so that's an interesting point. William, do you have any any thoughts about mm, that? Actually, like a long, long time ago, Hong Kong is, is the hub of like Chinese movies. But nowadays, is I think the whole focus is shift to mainland rather than we say is the Chinese movie because um, it's hardly to sell um, Hong Kong movies in other cities um, in Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, we can look at the, those directors, uh, I mean, the mainland directors. Even um, some of them, um, at the beginning, they are independent director, but somehow they get um, commercial success, and then um, little by little, they are shifting the focus on a more, what we call like a main rhythm. Mm. Um, I mean, the more, more, com- community, more, more social or concern on rather than, commercial thing or independence mm-hmm. so um let's see what what will happen like for mainland china i mean the directors from the mainland china or the hong kong director maybe they just shift their focus i don't know but in the old days if 
you know, I remember some of my film history correctly, you basically had two markets. Um, and I'm thinking back to sort of the pre-1970s era uh, before the rise of Cantonese cinema. You had Shanghai as sort of a, uh, a key film hub for a long time. And then Hong Kong started to take up some of that, I guess, in part because of the history of what was happening to film in the, you know, the Cultural Revolution period. Um, and, and, and just prior to that with, with communism becoming a more dominant force. But do you think, do you, do you see sort of a segregation of cinemas? I mean, because for a time, Mandarin language films was, was sort of the dominant language for film. And if a film was done in Mandarin, it was a little bit more high quality, a little bit more highbrow than uh, Cantonese language films, which were typically done in black and white for a period. It wasn't until the 70s you really start to get the resurgence of Cantonese cinema. Do you think that now uh, with the mainland and with co-productions taking up much more of a dominant role, do you think we're headed back for an era of much more Mandarin cinema? I think simply for logistics reason, because um, the entire Chinese cinema, except for the Guangdong province, films can only be shown in Mandarin. Mm. So, you know, it's just a logistic thing where there, it's not, I don't think it's a conspiracy to wipe out Cantonese, but it's a, you know, that's the fact that more films are made for a broader Chinese audience and they will have to be Mandarin. Mm. So that is a fact they have to live with, I think. Okay. Well, we'll have to wait and see how, th- how things play out. I, I for one, uh, I prefer Cantonese cinema a little bit more than Mandarin cinema, although I do really like the old uh, old musicals from the Shaw period uh, that were done in Mandarin. But we'll have to wait and see. All right, let's uh, talk about a second piece of news, uh, also dealing with China and film. Uh, this is a little bit more international in scope, that uh, apparently there was a WTO ruling that came out uh, against China, uh, saying that it had to, it, it could not keep its sort of monopoly on film distribution within China. It could no longer be a monopoly importer. And the, so this is seen as sort of a victory for the United States, for Hollywood, um, as sort of an inroad for them to get more traction in the mainland Chinese market. Um, I'm not I'm not really too sure what to make of this. On, on the one hand, I kind of think that, you know, China has a right to protect their market. I mean, Hollywood has always been sort of like this big behemoth that comes in and, and dominates the film industry of a local area and sort of takes it over and crushes it. It's it's like, you know, it's like the Walmart of film. It kind of comes in and kills everything around it, uh, offering, you know, sort of... Uh, sometimes good things, sometimes cheap things. Um, so is this, is, is this going to be a bad thing for China, good thing for Hollywood, or do you think that this is um, going to be important at all? Well, the WTO actually didn't say anything about the 20 film quota that China has. They were actually okay with that. They're actually okay with keeping that. The problem was with the um, distribution of video. Yeah. So I am, and you know the the quota worked for Korea when when their national cinema was was coming up, and and you know just as it had worked recently, the, the I'm not sure who decided to to lower it, but you know when they realized that the Korean national cinema was working, then they reduced the quota. So I think 
I don't know how long it would take for China to start having that kind of confidence, but you know, I think a quota is good, but personally, censorship is an entire different thing. Mm. Well, and the other issue that is sort of briefly touched on here is the notion of uh, pirating, which is still very much alive and present um, in China. And that's definitely something that has been taking a big bite out of uh, Hollywood imports in, in the, the film, in terms of DVDs and film sales. And it doesn't seem to be something that China itself is quite ready to address. I mean, I know that I, I can recall like a couple years back, there was a big summit in Shenzhen between the U.S. and between the Chinese government, the mainland Chinese government, trying to address the issue of piracy. And it even here in Hong Kong, it's it's still a pretty rampant thing that, you know, is easily found on many street corners or in many centers. And the one thing that I've noticed is that there tends to be every every so often, you know, every six months or a year, uh, they'll come out with a new regulation and the, the law enforcement will have a new way of cracking down. And these little places that sell the pirated DVDs will close down for a few months. And then a few months later, they'll open up and they'll have a new system that sort of works around whatever the latest law enforcement uh, policies are, you know, you know, are in place. Uh, so there doesn't really seem to be a solid solution for this. Um, William? I don't think piracy is ever going to go away. I mean, when people realize they could get entertainment for free, they feel they're entitled to it. Yeah, yeah. And, and that is a problem, especially with the younger generation with digital media. Um, William, what, what are your thoughts on this since you kind of see this from... Uh, different perspectives being a videographer yourself um it's hard to tell but i don't know i don't really have any comments on that mm -hmm. um as i'm not really understand what how, how it works but uh, about the privacy um it's really hard to um um uh, what is called to really to execute the the, the regulation to to stop the privacy is is impossible so the only thing is that to let the people know about how, what would be the difference to watch it or, or to get a um, um, legal copy rather than a private copy. What are the differences or, or how, 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 what, what is between these two? I mean, the education is more important mm. than how to stop them to get, get private copies. But sure, this is a long way to go. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right now, I think the, the authorities are scaring people into not pirating movies when they should be, yeah, like you, like William said, teaching them why is it better to watch a movie yeah. on a legal. Well, I know. I know. Locally, I look forward to seeing Simon Yam before any movie <laughs> I watch. Come on and say, just don't do it. You know, it's, it's, uh, the, the local movie industry. And I, I can. I, I always get a kick out of going back and watching watching the uh, Western equivalent with uh, Jackie Chan and Arnold. Yeah. They, they did a, a PSA a few years back where yeah. you know they're both dressed up like the Terminator and saying, you know, piracy, or just don't do it. You know. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I think Simon Yemsher went for a Dr. Lamb look instead of the PTU look. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that might have scared people a little bit more. Oh, but one more thing. One, one more thing I wanted to touch on before we get before we get into talking about films. Um, James Cameron's Avatar. Now they're making a really big deal about this in Hong Kong, which is surprising because uh, science fiction is not a really huge genre. Science fiction films, I mean, 
one of my big disappointments right now, as much as I love living in Hong Kong, is that there's this film playing in the States called District 9, which is which everybody's raving about. Everybody's saying it's a really great film, and I can't wait to see it. And, you know, it's it, they're not showing it here, but they are showing G.I. Joe. You know, they, they released G.I. Joe on opening day. Uh, no worries, Paul. I think uh, end of October, I think that's the, they already set a release date. Yeah. But that's such a long way off, you know. It's, yes. I, I don't want to wait, but... Um, <laughs> But Avatar is is getting um, some pretty big publicity here in Hong Kong. And uh, Kevin, you were telling me earlier that you actually went and you uh, you got some tickets for a preview. Yeah, this is for the global uh, so-called Avatar Day. Because, you know, Fox, it is the most expensive movie ever made. I think it costs about $300 million. So Fox is trying to capitalize as much as they can. And so, and so I I because I, I just briefly looked at the promo um on the website for broadway cinema and i was like well it's 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 right across from where i work so i'll just run over there in the morning and, and pick up the tickets but i didn't get I, I didn't get a chance to go over but as i understand it it's basically just a screening of 15 minutes yeah of a 15 film. minute reel That's so right. it's kind of like what they did with the dark knight when they had sort of the first 15 minutes or so of the film as a as a pre extended preview on some movies but with this they're actually going to set up i guess they're going to set up their own uh, a separate theater and they're just going to run this uh for people to watch is that is that what the tickets are for yeah they're running i think they're running several screenings between 7 and 10:45 i went to the line this morning at the IMAX because I'm picking up tickets for a friend, not for myself. Um, so the whole thing is they, you, you have to fill up a form, uh, tell them, give them the email, your name, whatnot, and then you only get one ticket and they tell you where to sit and what time to show up. Yeah. So um, they're handing out 400 tickets at the IMAX. And when I went, because I, they, they announced this kind of late, only beginning of this week. So I think when I show up, there's about 50 people. Hmm. So, so I don't but, know. But uh, this is... This yeah. is... I mean, is this this as I understand is pretty unprecedented in yeah. terms of public relations for a movie. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering. I mean, is is this going to be another Waterworld or <laughs> you know one of these movies that it's supposedly too big to fail and then it just is turns out to be a tremendous flop? And I mean, I know it's James Cameron. Geeks love him because of you know the things he did in some science fiction movies. Girls love him because of Titanic. Um, <laughs> But I, you know, this just seems kind of excessive to me. And I mean, I know that the trailer, the trailer is going live uh, in just a few hours from what I was seeing earlier today on Apple trailers. They've actually got a countdown ticker. And I think it's like, you know, like probably probably about now now that it's supposed to be going up. So I'm staying up. It's 10 10 Hong Kong time. I think it's almost, almost. So I, I guess we'll just have to wait and see if the hype and all this is, is really worth it. Um, well, you know what? Um, the uh, Jeffrey Wells, uh, a columnist that I read, he went to the 23-minute Rio screening at Comic-Con, and he said that the Rio, the Avatar footage, brought him back to adolescence. So, you know, maybe, maybe it is worth it. We'll see. Moving on to our first film topic for East Screen. This week we're going to talk about a pig. That is the famous Hong Kong pig, uh, McDull, has returned in a new new film called McDull Ding Ding Dong. Now, technically, this is, I guess, 
I guess some people would call it, I would call it McDull 4, but I know a lot of people don't like to consider McDull the alumni as some sort of an official McDull film. Uh, in one paper or one blog I was reading, uh, they said this is the third animated McDull film, but there was some animation in McDull the alumni, so maybe this is like McDull 3.5. I'm, I'm not sure. Um, but it is it is a new McDull film, and it's quite different from the, the previous two or three films, if you, if you consider mm -hmm. the alumni in there, uh, in part because it's sort of commercializing itself out towards... Uh, the mainland audience where it actually was released first and but it still has a lot of very central hong kong core elements that would that are very difficult to translate outside of a hong kong context for an international audience and some might say even a mainland china uh, non-cantonese speaking audience so i want to talk a little bit about this this idea of sort of translating it over into the mainland and what your both of your thoughts are uh william yeah why don't we start with you and you can give us some of your thoughts on the film um actually i i'm not a big fan of of mcdell um i think i didn't watch the whole film for the first two animate feature um I, I watched part of it and then before i watched some of those um on tv the tv series um I, but i watched the mcdell alumni last time but actually that as you said, uh, it may not considered as one of the whole sequence, um, but this time I enjoyed it very much because there's a lot of jokes that is really localized. As a Hong Kong, as a Hong Konger, I, I, yeah, as a Hong Kong person, I, I really enjoy it. Um, but I, I actually I, I found out that in when it's shown in um, mainland China, it was dubbed. It was it is not in Cantonese. Mm -hmm. uh, actually, it's in Mandarin, but um, because they still have some elements that is because the whole um, part of the stories are happening in the mainland China, so um, I don't know as as a Hong Kong people I don't I don't know how much the people enjoy it or they just consider it something um, exotic when they talk uh, watch some um, Hong Kong images in film I I don't have any idea about why the mainland people is so excited at least at this moment. <laughs> well, that's a good point. I, as I was talking about earlier in the news segment uh, about the Hong Kong Film Hub, it it was ranked number five in terms of top sales. So apparently, it is doing fairly well financially. Uh, Kevin, how about you? What are your thoughts on the McDowell, the new McDowell film? I really did enjoy it. I think of the all the films because it is the most narratively complete uh coherent one because it actually feels like there's a story that's beginning to end and the china aspect didn't really bother me because the joke is that even when Madel goes to china all his all his classmates and his teacher and and the schoolmaster looks exactly like the per, like the those in, in hong kong yeah and they speak like they're in hong kong so uh that really didn't bother me and honestly i have no idea how all the hong kong the cantonese humor is going to was going to translate into mandarin so, you know, I am also surprised by success in the mainland when it's dubbed in Mandarin. And there, there, there's, just in terms of the casting, there's some things to point out that a change in the casting sort of changes the dynamic. Uh, for example, you have Jim Chim 
uh, local actor and, and film star and director who does some of the initial narration, uh, the, the local folk music star, the pancakes does the voice for Miss Chen, I think. Mm-hmm. And if you change and, and if you change out these roles, obviously you have Sandra M as uh, the mother of McDowell, you change out these roles. Um, does that change the dynamic of the film in your mind? Well, Pancake has always played Miss Chen. Yeah. Um, the the big biggest addition is Wan Guang, the the singer, um, and the use of his songs. Yeah. So those were, um, I think the the use of Jim Chim was great in the beginning because he was imitating uh, a TV host that is uh, quite famous. Um, I'm not sure what his English name is. William, do you know? Um, um, um I think it's just directly translated Chong King Fai. Right, it's, right. It's, yeah, well, well, we we usually call him um, King Sir, right, because right. he's he's like he he's got a doctorate degree in, in drama. Actually, he's the one of the master of drama in Hong Kong. Hmm. Yeah, and Jim Chim is well known for imitating him um, from a from a documentary show, so he was used very well, I think. But uh, yeah, I definitely miss uh, Jan Lam's voice. He was the narrator for the first two movies. Um. So. In terms of what we see in the film, you've got a combination of uh, sort of the traditional McDull animation, but much of it takes place in China, and they're they're actually throwing a lot more 3D animation, CGI animation, into the film than they did in previous films. And I was very impressed by one sequence, which they're sort of telling a story of an older McDull in ancient China, and (laughs) they... The, the the animation actually goes around sort of an old Chinese town in sort of a square yeah. circuit. And yeah. I thought that that was really well done. Uh, but then later you've got sort of this, this international competition. Uh, you've got a, a, a guest appearance by uh, a person who's supposed to be Bruce Lee, but they don't really call him <laughs> Bruce Lee. Um, <laughs> what do you think about these more commercial aspects uh, being put into the film? Do you think that that is... Uh, helpful for the for the series or do you think that detracts from some of the the more localized cultural uh, nature that has always been a part of McDowell well I think but oh sorry William William yeah well you okay um actually I think I think it's it's fine for me maybe I I I don't mind I'm really open for the whole whole things um but when it comes up like like what is called Pusley, what what is it in the film? <laughs> what what they called? Yeah, yeah Pusley. Um, it's something that that is I don't know, but at least this is like uh, except Jackie Chan, and there's another figure that that people know about Hong Kong. Yeah, about a, a guy a kung fu star, and for me it's fine. And actually, I read a review. Um, some sort of review um, written by one of the uh, local film critics. Uh, he he really mentioned this as like some kind of reflection of how other people look at Hong Kong, or 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 a figure that um, Hong, to represent Hong Kong people, mm. at least for the old days. And also another interesting thing is um, you talk about the old McDowell the ancestor. That of they say ancestors or what? what sorry, English. Yeah. Uh, yeah, ancestor of, of McDowell, um, to walk through that that Chinese scroll. Um, I read the information that that's is a um is mimicking one of the long scrolls in China 
I'm not sure、mm. what what is in English that is a Tingming Shanghao Tao. Yeah, it has a very famous long scroll Chinese scroll, and that scene、um, is like rendered for months because it's it's two D within three D. Yeah, it's it's、wow. quite a complex scene,、uh, particularly for、yeah. when you consider. I mean, if you were to put this up against something like Pixar, it doesn't seem that complex, but for a Hong Kong film, it actually is quite quite remarkable to see them. Uh, take taking on that much CGI within a a local film. Yeah,、And、so that that's it looks really, really nice. Yeah, very very nice, really good. It was nicely executed. Yeah. Okay, yeah. um, Kevin, do you have any final thoughts on on well, the film? Would you, I mean, would this be something that you would recommend to film fans、uh, outside of Hong Kong? Yeah, I mean, as opposed to last week's movie,、uh, I would say hell yes to、uh, recommending Mado. I think, despite the language, humor, and whatnot, I think it's still a very good animated film,、uh, especially since it came up Hong Kong. And I think narratively is quite complete, and it makes a lot of sense. So, unlike the last two movies, which might be too dense for a lot of audience, I think this one would be the ticket. I think this one would be the key to giving it commercial success. Okay, good. Let's move on then and talk about our West Screen feature for this week.、Uh, that is GI Joe. We'll fight for freedom wherever there's trouble. GI Joe is there. GI Joe. Based on the old cartoon franchise of the same name, the Real American Hero, which in turn was based upon. A toy that was around for a number of years in the United States.、Um, now, William, you have not seen this. Yeah, I haven't、uh, seen this, and but... I also haven't had a chance to see this yet. So, Kevin, we're going to cast the spotlight over to you, and we'll let you take it away for the next few moments and give us your thoughts. Give us a quick synopsis and a review of GI Joe, if you would. Well, actually, first I would like to ask、uh, William and Paul: Have you guys seen the original GI Joe cartoons? I watched it when I was small, but I have no idea. I, I don't remember anything about it at all, except、um, at that time I really owned some of those figures. Yeah, <laughs> I, 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 I remember seeing some of them. I wasn't a big fan. I mean, I knew who Duke was. I knew who Snake Eyes was, Scarlet,、uh, Destro, Cobra Commander. They're sort of Especially Cobra Commander, he's he's a bit of a cultural icon,、uh, but I was always more of a Transformers、uh, person, and I I never I never liked the fact that nobody ever seriously got hurt or nobody died. It was one of those cartoons <laughs> that where the plane would go through the air, would get hit by the missile, and at the last moment you see the guy parachuting to safety.、Um, <laughs> So I, it was just not something. And it, but interestingly enough, I do know that there is a recent animation of shorts that came out. It was on one of the cable networks that they did, and it was very adult. It was and it was apparently very well done with lots of violence, you know, people getting shot, people dying,、uh, and apparently was was very well put together. I saw part of one episode, but I'm hoping to see the whole thing later. So, but I, other than that, I don't really have a lot of exposure. To the Joe series, the Joe storyline. Well, then you guys still、uh, know more about GI Joe than me because the only exposure to GI Joe are the parody public service announcements that have been going around YouTube for years. I don't know if you guys have seen those. Yeah.、Uh, essentially, they're badly dubbed versions of those with really nonsensical dialogues, and that's all I've seen. But、um, 
you know, there's an interesting point that you brought up, Paul, about the original G.I. Joe cartoon never showing anyone getting killed or getting hurt because this G.I. Joe uh, takes things a little further. I mean, it earns its PG-13 rating. Um, it has a lot of violence. People get killed and whatnot. But anyways, uh, basic plot is, because um, I know nothing about G.I. Joe, so I'll just say as I know it. Uh, G.I. Joe is a team of uh, inter internationally... Um, brought together a bunch of commandos um, run by this guy named General Hawk, played by Dennis Quaid, doing his uh, John Wayne thing. Um, they're funded by NATO, and um, I think they're doing something about weapons by this guy named, uh, the Scottish guy named McCullen, and McCullen is, uh, of course, an evil terrorist or some kind of uh, thing against the French, and then it's up to G.I. Joe's to stop him. Um, I like Steven Sommers. Uh, Steven Sommers previously made uh, The Mummy, The Mummy Returns, Van Helsing. Um, I like The Mummy. I kind of like The Mummy Returns, but he has sort of been on a down, really, a really steep downward slope with his films. But um, I think the close comparison to something like G.I. Joe be a Transformers movie. And personally, I like G.I. Joe more than I did Transformers. Mm. Because uh, you want to compare Transformers, which went from stupid to juvenile, and then went back to stupid. G.I. Joe is just sort of stupid all the way through. And it's consistent. You know, and it's when it's good, when the action is going, it's fun. You know, when it's bad, you expect it to be bad. So it doesn't really defy your expectation. It doesn't really exceed it either. It does what it does well. So uh, some people were talking before because, uh, as I mentioned, growing up watching the Transformers cartoons and... G.I. Joe, they were sort of from the same era. Uh, what do you, how would you rate this against Transformers 2? Because since they both came out in the same year, there's been a lot of comparison. Yeah, um, well, like I said before, trans what happened with Transformers 2 is this, it was stupid in the first place, but, you know, Transformers 1 was stupid in the first place, but at least it didn't go to the depths that Transformers 2 did. You know, a lot of racism, a lot of the really juvenile stuff, or, or the the really crude stuff. GI Joe, it's really consistent. You know, it 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 always defies logic, but is it has a very consistent tone. Mm -hmm. um, what I like is that it's never, even though GI Joe was originally a very nationalistic thing, but this one they they really toned that down, and and GI Joe becomes an international organization, and um, the the cast is quite diverse. Um, I would say um, watch out for the person, uh, the actor who plays Storm Shadow is a very famous actor, Korean actor named Lee Boon Hoon. I think he's he is the standout of the film. Yeah, a lot of people uh, have been saying that 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 uh, you know obviously Snake Eyes is a is a favorite character, sort of the the ninja esque character, uh, being played by Ray Park, who is sort of the the martial arts icon for a lot of western cinema roles he was in he was darth maul and he was in x-men and uh so he's he he's sort of established there as the, the 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 silent deadly ninja and then i guess storm shadow is his is his counterpoint and a lot of people said that those two characters are sort of the 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 best parts of the film Right, right. Snake Eyes, he, he Ray Park performs very well physically, but you know, obviously, he is he's hindered by the mask. Um, Lee Boon Hoon shows why he is one of the top actors of Korea. Mm. He shows it here. He has he has the charm. He has the physicality. He shows a six pack. You know, he's 
I don't know why people aren't talking about him more. He's obviously a standout. Forget Channing Tatum, forget Martin, well, the Wayne brothers, I forgot who it is. You know, Lee Boon Hoon should deserve, I think, deserve his own spinoff. All right, well, let's move on and talk about a special topic this week, um, and that is a very interesting film that, after hearing about it uh, from William, I was really wishing that I'd gotten out and out to see this film, and I'm hoping to see it as soon as possible now. And that is a film from Japan called Vampire Girl uh, meets, is it meets or versus? Versus. Uh, versus. Versus Frankenstein Girl. And, I, I mean, if ever you needed a title to sell you a movie... This is that movie, and this is that <laughs> title. So both of you saw it. You, you got to see it d- during the fest the festival that's playing. So yes. why don't uh, Kevin, if you'll give us a little bit of a synopsis of the film, and then William, you can chime in and tell us your thoughts on it. Okay. Oh, yep. Um, so Vampire Girl versus Frankenstein Girl is a line of film from the filmmakers who made such cult classics like Machine Girl and Tokyo Gore Police. I don't know, have William, have you seen any of those? No, I haven't <laughs> seen it, but I, I, I really want to watch yeah, I've, the Tokyo I've, I've seen Machine Girl. I've actually got it bookmarked on my Amazon <laughs> wish list somewhere. And I've, you know, it's like, it's one of those that you look at the cover and you go, yeah, I think I want to watch it. I think I want to watch it. But then it's just not at the right price point to, to be something that you really want to buy. And I remember the last like in the five dollar bargain bin. Yeah, right? the last time I was in the states, I kept saying, "Go to Blockbuster and see if they have Machine Girl and rent it." And I, I never got a chance to do so. So, uh, continue, Kevin. All right. So, um, what these guys are known for, because uh, Nishimura, I think that's the guy's name. He's very famous for doing special effects for other Japanese films. So he started doing his own films, and they're known for very exaggerated violence like for example i believe he said he used four tons of blood for tokyo gore police and he only ended up using half of that for vampire girl uh versus frankenstein girl so anyway the the part is very simple um it takes place in a high school where there are these very let's say unique groups uh it's of course it's meant to uh satirize a real high school anyway um there's a new transfer student um and she falls in love with one of the regular male students and what she does is she gives him Valentine's chocolate. Uh, turns out this Valentine's chocolate uh, has her blood in it. And once he eats it, he half turns into a vampire. Um, so, so, of course, that's her way of, um, of confessing her love. And so, it, um, but meanwhile, that, that attention sort of irks the, the class uh, Lolita group, the leader of the class, the, the school Lolita group, uh, whose father is actually a mad scientist in disguise. So um, something happens to her, somehow she dies, and then, of course, um, her father, the mass scientist, turns her into the Frankenstein monster. So hence, Vampire Girl versus Frankenstein Girl. And so is there a, a, a throwdown brawl between the two? It's sort of a, a gothic love triangle? Oh, of course. It wouldn't be, it wouldn't be versus if they didn't really yeah. take on each other at the end. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, William, what, what were your thoughts on the film? Is this... Is this something that should be a must see for for film goers out there? <laughs> I don't know. It depends. It depends on how 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 do you um about 
how can how, how can I put it like that? Um, it depends on your taste, I would say. Um, actually, I before I really decided to watch this film, um, I just go to um search for its trailer, and once I watch the trailer, I think, oh, it's so crazy! It's just like <laughs> it's really cult, or I, I don't know how how can I put it in words. It's just like it's cheesy, but it's like fun. The blood is splashing everywhere, and then um, they're just chopping, and all the the head is coming out. Um, and afterwards, I, I I show it to my colleagues, and then he he really want to watch it. But after he he watched the trailer, he said that oh my god. You've bought the tickets already? It's so <laughs> crazy. How can I watch this film? But at the end, when, when we both watch it, it's, he, he really enjoys it. Yeah, it's something that um, you may not accept. Like, you, you, may not have, you may not ever get a chance to watch this, watch this as like the main, mainstream film or other things. It's just something that very low budget, but some, somehow um, they make it, very look really cheesy but that on the other hand is lots of fun mm -hmm. yeah so yeah. Uh, um not not having seen tokyo gore police or machine girl as of yet i i have seen the covers of those films and like this film one of the key elements seems to be that it's taking place in and around a school uh the girls on the cover are wearing schoolgirl schoolgirl uniforms so would you say that this then is simply qualifying as an you know an exploitation film, or is this something that uh, has some other added elements that you know somebody who's maybe not into um, into exploitation films so much, but would like you know a good sort of vampire story uh, or a good sort of gothic monster story, crazy scientist <laughs> story? Would would they would this be something they would enjoy as well? I don't know. It's just something really crazy. All I can say is, yeah. uh, it's not. It's not. It's never close to like typical vampires or, or Frankenstein story, yeah. um, because they got something really, um, really extreme. I can say it. Um, like um, they can cut the wrists and then um, the blood <laughs> come out as a swore. And or or, or um, the mother of the vampire girl um can can make some cuts on uh his leg and then so so his her uh, her face becomes a yeah. yeah yes come come abuse <laughs> yes that that is something really crazy that's it I I can never thought of this kind of ideas when I'm doing my my creative works. Yeah. I, I think um, exploitative is the word. Um, I don't think anyone looking for a good horror film would want to watch this because there's nothing really scary about it. But people looking for a good action flick actually could get a kick out of this. Um, but with that said, I wouldn't actually blame anyone for not wanting to watch it because it is so extreme that you can't take it seriously. But there are those people who can't take blood and I wouldn't blame them for not wanting to watch this movie. First, I experimented only with dead animals, and then a human heart, which I kept beating for three weeks. But now, I'm going to turn that ray on that body and endow it with life. And you really believe that you can bring life to the dead? That body is not dead. It has never lived. I created it. I made it with my own hands from the bodies I took from graves, from the gallows, anywhere. 
go and see for yourself. That's going to close it up for our main topics. Let's move on to our last segment, our Flying Buddha Pick of the Week. This week, uh, I'd like to recommend a film. Uh, it's a bit of an older film. came out in 2006, but I watched it on a flight back to the States uh, two months ago, and I really kind of liked it. It's called Outsourced, and this is a story about a young American who's working for a firm, and his name is uh, Todd Anderson, and uh, he gets told that basically the firm is closing down his division, and he's in charge of going to India to train the replacements who are going to be taking up those positions. I need you in my office. Todd, we decided to restructure order fulfillment. Offshore the whole department. We need you in India. No way, no, I'm not going to India to train my own replacement. All you need to do is visit the call center and make sure the new guy's up to speed. Bro, what is that? Oh, that, that is just a cow, must have wandered in, one minute. Basically, you people need to learn about America. Hold your nose to flatten the bowel like Chicago. Chicago. Another good time. Buddy, I assure you, I'm in Chicago. Yeah, right. Bro, this place is a disaster. Hey! I'm stuck in India the rest of my life. My name is Todd. Everyone says Toad. Are you Mr. Toad? Mr. Toad. Mr. Toad! I'll see you're not on vacation over there? Yeah, like I would come here for vacation. Listen, uh, Todd, just a word of advice. <clears throat> I remember feeling like you do. I was resisting India. Once I gave in, I did much better. It was a pleasure talking with you. Yes. Some things I don't understand about American life. You hate your boss, and you don't like this company. Hmm? Why not choose something else? Why didn't you say anything? Why didn't you say anything? I don't know how this country works. Watch out! You must jump! Hi. Hi. I don't know how to explain it. In my world, it just makes sense to work your ass off just so you can have that 50-inch plasma. Someone's got to train the new guy. Some of us do sound alike. There are over one billion of us, you know. That's terrible. Um, the stars of this film uh, is Josh Hamilton and sort of the main love interest uh, for him, Aisha Dakar, who some people may recognize because she played the queen in Star Wars Episode Two. Um if I have my Star Wars correct, she's basically because uh, Natalie Portman was the queen in the first film, but then the, she stepped down. And so she's got a very small scene uh, as the queen in, in the next film. You mean she wasn't CGI'd? No, no. <laughs> um, so, but it, it's a cute little story. It's got a, it, it feels a little bit like uh, Bride and Prejudice. If you've seen that, you know, sort of the, the multicultural romance that ensues and, 
the main character, Todd, trying to come to grips with living in India and getting used to the culture and the customs in India. And it's got some really nice moments. It's not a it's not a great film, but it's sort of a quiet and, and very pleasant film. And now with a lot more of Indian films coming into focus, they're starting to see a lot of these sort of um, hybrid Hollywood slash Bollywood productions. Uh, and if this is something that you're interested in, you should probably give Outsource a try. Uh, you can find it uh, on iTunes. If you have access to iTunes and an iTunes account, you can rent it there. That's how I've seen it. It's also available on video through other channels, Amazon, uh, or you can try your local video store. Uh, Kevin, you have a pick for us this week? Yes, I do. Um, as a student, of course, I, for the second week in a row, I pick a cheaper alternative to a movie that already exists. This week is uh, Kiyoshi Kurosawa's Tokyo Sonata. Um I saw this last year at a film festival and I like it very much and but um it's it's taking very long for video release especially out of Japan because it's not subtitled and it's still going around the theaters in America. Uh, I'm not sure how it's doing in Britain. I'm pretty sure it had a release already. But this the Hong Kong release, I believe is the first English subtitle release. Um why is this movie worth noting? Because it won the best film at the Asian Film Awards this year as well as best screenplay. And I think it was one of the best Japanese films of last year. Um, it's also very timely because it's about uh, a family in Tokyo. Uh, the father is laid off and he essentially has to uh, hide his unemployment status from his family. And meanwhile, the other members of the family deal with their own issues and slowly the family sort of falls apart and you could say kind of comes back together at the end. Um, and why I picked this again is because it's the first English subtitle release. Um, the quality from Megastar is not great. It's only in Dolby Digital 2.0. Um, it is widescreen, but this it's only in PAL, and there's no extra to speak of. But if um, you're in a hurry or you like to watch this, because I know it's been out for quite some time and hasn't been really made available as it should have, um, I would say cash is release. It only costs about $11. But of course, if you don't uh, can't or can't uh, get this copy, uh, it, it's still playing around America. And like I said, it should be slowly rolling out in English subtitle releases. So Tokyo Sonata, Kiyoshi Kurosawa, catch it if you can. All right, that sounds good. Well, I think that's going to about do it for our episode this week. Um, I'd like to thank our special guest, William, for coming in and sitting in a third chair with us. Uh, Kevin, if people would like to get in contact with you or follow you, you want to tell them how they can do that? Sure. Um, I have a blog at lovehkfilm.com. That's where you can read my film reviews. And also you can find my blog, The Golden Rock, there. The URL is lovehkfilm.com slash blog slash The Golden Rock in one word. Or you can also follow me on Twitter under The Golden Rock, again, one word. Or you can also email me at The Golden Rock, one word again, at gmail.com. If you'd like to pose a question for us here at the show, you can uh, send an email, uh, either attaching a, a voice message a file to the email or just sending us a normal written email um, to Comcast, that's one word, K-O-N-G-C-A-S-T, at hotmail.com. Uh, hoping to have this up and running on iTunes in the very near future. Uh, please bear with us as we go through sort of the growing phase as we're growing and learning this new technology. And next week, we'll be coming back to talk a little bit about the new Jeff Lau film, 
Kung Fu Cyborg, so we're hoping that that will be something of great interest to talk about with some of the and some of you listeners out there will be able to look forward to that. So until next time, we wish you good viewing, and we'll see you then. Bye bye. Bye bye.